Hey, y'all ready? Uh-huh. Bring it. Y'all ready to bring it? Yep. All right, turn with me. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 5. As we're talking about the oneness of who we are, we've looked at this in so many different aspects so far, but of course this is the theme of the very first part of chapter 4 in Ephesians, and as we go through each and every one of this, we're not going to go through every single one of every single verse. We've already talked on one Lord. We did that earlier this year as we were going through the I Am statements where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we spent that just a few months ago, so I'm going to not talk about that in depth. I'm going to talk about one baptism. I'm going to use it as an example today um, and through what I'm talking about, through one faith. As, as we get, But we went into depth on that a few weeks ago and months ago as well, so earlier this year. So this particular verse... We're going to focus on one faith. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, it says what? It says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, the theme of this entire verse is about the lordship of Christ. This is the one that was about Christ. The last one was about the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to be talking about God. So we're talking about the Trinity through these three verses right here and the oneness of all, the three of them. Together, there's one, one Lord, all right? Together, there's one faith. And together, there's one baptism. So as we look at faith this morning, I want us to turn and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. All right, we're going to use this as our launching pad this morning as we go out and talk about faith in, in depth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, what does this tell us about faith? It tells us that there's no way for us to be able to please God without faith. If we don't have faith, we cannot please God. So there's a lot of folks out there who do a lot of quote-unquote good things. Look, I'm not saying that societally we don't benefit from that. But what I am saying as far as pleasing God for what God has called us to do, it's not happening. Without faith in Him, without trust in Him, without relationship in Him, it's impossible to please Him. And so anything that we do apart from Him, even as a believer in and of ourselves, we're not pleasing God with that. We're just trying to make ourselves feel better. So our good works apart from God are not bringing God glory. That's what this is all about. Our life, our journey here is about bringing glory to God. That's about having faith in Him. That's what this relationship is detailed in, in, in how we respond to God and how God speaks to us and then how we bring Him glory. So as we talk about this, know this. It's impossible for us to please Him without faith. Faith begins with confession. Faith begins with confession. Confession. <laughs> confession. This is our conversion through acceptance of him. We humble ourselves and we confess our sins to him. When we confess our sins to him, then what we do is profess our faith in him and him as Lord of our lives. So this is the thread that we're talking about here in Christ Jesus. The lordship comes through the fact that we confess our sins to him and understand that we are not Lord of our own life, and then when we do that, we profess our faith in him, which brings about that relationship and that trust that we have. Romans 10, 9 and 10 puts this in perspective. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's two aspects to that. There's the confession with our mouth, and then there's what? There's the belief in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That is the, uh, the conversion. 
the acceptance of God, uh, in Christ Jesus, uh, as our Savior and our Lord. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So the cleansing of our heart makes us right with God, and then when we confess it with our mouth, that is the salvific part of it too. It so it's twofold there. So why is this important? Why is this important? Because in Baptist life, we like for you to walk the aisle and, and confess that Jesus is Lord in your, of your life, right? And there's probably a lot of people who've said or followed a pastor and prayed a sinner's prayer. But if there's not a change in the heart of that, there is no validation to those words. So confession is not enough. You need to confess your sins, but you need to believe in your heart. That is what results in salvation. So there's a two-part aspect to that. So so many people have said words, but the words don't have meaning without a change of heart. Who looks on the heart? The person next to you? No. The Lord himself looks on our heart. He looks past all of the fluff of your words and the way that you dress or in even sometimes in our actions out in the world. And he sees clear through every single bit of that and looks at our heart. And so we have to see faith for what it is. Faith is beyond words. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace in our life to be able to move forward in faith because of our profession and confession of who he is. That justifies us. Remember, there's three-part aspect to our salvation. There's the part where we are justified or made right. In other words, we're in the sinner's side of the ledge, ledger, and then when we confess our faith, we move to the righteousness side of it. God makes us right. And then when that happens, there's a sanctification process of our lives. We live our life out in faith, which we're going to look at in just a few minutes. And then we're glorified, or the end of our salvation journey is happens when we go and meet the Lord. And that happens at the end of our lives. We're, we can do things here that bring glory to God, but the true glorification of who we are in Christ Jesus happens when we go and meet him in heaven. Now, I've just laid all this out. It seems very simple, doesn't it? It seems very simple. But you know what? We mess this up all the time. I'm about to explain something to you theologically in faith, and I'm going to use baptism as an example of it, all right, and help you see this. There are three aspects to our faith. There are certain aspects that are vital. We call those dogma. We have no faith without them. If Jesus Christ is not born of a virgin, we have no faith. Because then he is born of a man just like you and I are born of a man. His blood is the same blood of us. It says that we were born into sin, which means Jesus was born into sin. Scripture says that Jesus was sinless. There's no way that Jesus Christ can be born of a man. The virgin birth is imperative to Christianity. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, dying and being resurrected day is imperative to our faith. If there is no resurrection, there is no finish of, our, of, of the work that needed to be done for us to have a relationship with God. This is dogma. So if you ever hear someone denying these things, in essence, we have no faith. Paul tells us this over and over throughout his writings to us. If Jesus Christ was not resurrected, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then we are fools. We are fools among fools. 
Because we are trying to follow a man who's dead and buried just like everybody else. If he was not born of a virgin, then we're following a man just like everyone else, not of God himself incarnate. So we have to see this for what it is. Dogma is the very essence, okay? I think I've put on here, if you're looking at building a building, it's the pilings. It's the footings that are put down. It's the, it's the things that are laid down before the foundation is even laid down. When you're going to go build a building, right, James? You've got to go pour the pilings and the footings first, don't you? Can't put those piers up or anything until that stuff happens. So dogma is that. Now look, there are some people who have made baptism dogma. Baptism is not dogma. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. The thief on the cross was said to be with the Father that day in heaven, right? Be with Jesus in heaven that day. He didn't climb down off the cross and go get baptized. It did not happen that way. Now there are churches that say not only do you have to be baptized, but you have to be baptized in their water to go to heaven. That's totally wrong. We've taken something and we've made it dogma that is not dogma. There are certain aspects of our faith that are dogma that the Scripture tells us that we cannot live without. We need to know what those are. Baptism is not dogma. All right? The next part that you need to understand is this. Not only do we have dogma, we have what's called doctrine. Doctrine is the platform or the foundations of which our faith is built. Now, look, a lot of people have different doctrines. The Catholic Church has different doctrines. There's last rites, there's confession, there's all these other things. We don't have that. We have two sacraments within the Baptist life. What are the sacraments? Baptism and Lord's Supper, all right? Those are the sacraments in the Baptist faith. Look, in some essences of the Baptist faith, they even have foot washings, don't they? So washing of feet is, is, is a sacrament or a doctrinal part of their faith. So you see, there's all along all the different genres of or essence of our faith, there are different doctrinal aspects that are pointed out, picked out, or gone with. Doctrine doctrine's like flavors. When you go to Baskin Robbins, you can get how many? Thirty-one, right? Don't y'all know this? Have you watched the commercials? 31 flavors. Now, you like chocolate, though, right? Or you like vanilla, or you pick whatever your favorite is. And every time you go to Baskin-Robbins, do you get 31? You get generally what? One. There's a restaurant in Athens that I go to. I go to it a lot. It's a small little restaurant, community restaurant. And when I walk in, the waitress walks up to me, and she says, you want this, don't you, Tim? And I say, yes, ma'am. I'll have the same thing, please. Every time I go in there, my kids are like, you're going to eat the same thing, aren't you? I switch it up every once in a while. But when I go there, I get the same thing all the time. When you go to Loretta's, the line's all right there for you. But you're getting what? Generally, you're getting the same thing you get every time you go through there. Ooh, that looks good today, but you know what? I'm going to stick with this. That's the way we are doctrinally. That's the way we are when we worship. We worship in an area or arena of the faith or the doctrine of the faith that we are comfortable with. So we find that which is comfortable. That doesn't mean that there's not more flavors. Does everybody get that? That's the way it is with our faith. It doesn't mean that the Pentecostals are wrong. 
It doesn't mean that the Episcopalians are wrong or the Methodists are wrong. There is right doctrine. Let me say this to you. I'm going to profess this and confess this. As a Baptist minister, you cannot believe someone is saying, we may actually have parts of this that are wrong. That we practice this doctrine that may not be the essence of the right doctrine. There is a right answer. But I'm going to tell you this. None of us have it all right. So the Baptists don't have it all right. The Methodists don't have it all right. You're not going to go to a perfect church. Not only because of the people, but in some essences because of some of the doctrinal, the nuances of the doctrine. So we have to understand this. But there is that which is right. And the Lord allows us in faith to worship. Not to worship falsely. That's not what I'm trying to say. But to worship together as a body, although some of it and the nuances of it we may not have totally correct. God calls for us all to have elders. But deacon boards in churches sometimes don't run like what's scriptural. And just as he's called in some to have elders, those elder boards don't run scripturally. There are a lot of people around here today that call themselves bishops and apostles. I don't know if that's what the, the scripture, I don't think that's what the scripture is saying when it's saying bishops and apostles. And they're calling themselves that. Are you, are you getting what I'm talking about here? We've taken doctrine and we've kind of mm, maybe twisted it, curved it a little bit to kind of fit what we want. And I'm saying that happens a lot. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that there's enough twisted doctrine to keep people from the faith. And maybe twisted is not even the right word. N unknown entities of the doctrine. How about that? We don't know the fullness of it ourselves. But it is the foundation from with our, which our faith is laid. And there are certain aspects of it that should be common for all of us. Scripture does say that baptism is a part of our faith, does it not? Okay, so baptism is a part of our doctrine. Baptism is not dogma, but it is a part of our doctrine. Now, here's the third aspect. The third aspect of this is beliefs. The beliefs is where we worship, where not only do we feel comfortable, but that's kind of our alley. You know what I'm saying? That's our lane. For us, we believe that people must be baptized how? By immersion. Does that mean that people in the Methodist church that are sprinkled are not going to go to heaven? Doesn't mean that at all, does it? Does it mean that if someone in the Catholic church was baptized as an infant that they're not going to go to heaven? Because it's a personal relationship. It says that you don't even have to be baptized to go to heaven, right? And though they may hold on to something that happened before they even knew what was going on, which was part of what doctrine says, that you must know what you believe, and they didn't follow through in baptism afterwards, it doesn't mean that they're not going to go to heaven. Are you getting this? So we have an aspect of this that we need to see and understand and get beyond ourselves. But in Baptist life, we feel like we need to dunk a Methodist, don't we? 
Lord knows if a Methodist walked in here, Pastor Tim, you need to go talk to him. He has only been sprinkled. That is not going to cut it. He needs to go under. And I know him personally. You need to hold him for a second or two just to make sure. And what do we do in Baptist life? We count that as a win, don't we? Because we rebaptize somebody by immersion when they were sprinkled or poured or something like that years ago as a believer. We're missing the point. We're missing the point. We need to understand the aspects of our faith, the dogma that we have to have, the essentials, the doctrine of what is truth to the best of our ability, to the best of our ability. And then the beliefs where we feel comfortable, but not casting stones at everybody else because they believe it. You know, I'm going to say this. I have certain beliefs. I'm not going to go into all this about speaking in tongues and, you know, healings and slaying in the Spirit and all those different types of things. But I'm never going to stand before you and say that God could not do that because He is God. And there came a point in time, and I don't know if Brother Paul remembers this, but we wanted to have a vote in the Baptist church to basically disallow that. And thank goodness that resolution got voted down. Now, I will say this. Churches that practice that part of the of doctrine should not be a part of the Southern Baptist life because that's not part of the Baptist doctrine. Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean that God cannot work that way. And that's where we get wrong. We place our beliefs over foundational truths of the faith. All right. Am I beating a dead horse there? All right, I hope not, but let's, let's keep going. I wanted everybody to understand that. I know that may have been a little deep, but sometimes I think we focus on the, we major on the minors. Is that the way to say it? All right. So faith begins with confession. Faith is built through confidence, certainty of the truth, and assurance of our faith. A lifestyle of faith. This is where we get to the sanctification part of who we are in Christ Jesus. This is the lifestyle of how we live. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The, righteousness of the righteous man shall live by faith. We are called to live. We are called to live salvifically a life of faith. We cannot say, I believe in Jesus Christ and go live like a hellion. That is contradictory. The words of our mouth will not match the actions. Nor will the fullness of our heart match what we say what we believe. So we must follow the life of faith once we confess and believe in Christ Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Our faith is being built. In fact, in this same book, it says earlier that you and I are being fitted together. So not only is he building in your life, he is building in my life. And he's building us together. Now, let me tell you this one. Clay, when he was a kid, used to have Legos. Any of your kids ever have Legos? All right. So I would go out and I would buy this contraption 
Most of the time it was Star Wars stuff, you know what I'm saying? And Clay wanted them for the, just the men, you know what I mean? The, whatever the little men and stuff were and in there. But it would, it would make something. One of the coolest things about Clay was is that Clay would go, and the first time that he would get all of those Legos in that box, he would build that. And he would set it up in his, in his room for just a little while. And then I would go back in there a week or two later, and Clay had torn whatever that was apart, and he had rebuilt it. He had rebuilt it into something else. It was not like the picture on the box. He had used all the same pieces, and he had built something else with it. He had taken that, and he had made it into something else. We think when we're born that our life is going to be this. But Scripture says, and you can go back and look in Ezekiel and see, uh, actually, Jeremiah, and see this, where he says the potter takes the clay back down, and he rebuilds the pot back up because the pot was marred, right? The pot was flawed. The pot had cracks in it. And so the potter took it back down, and he remade it into something else. That's the part of our sanctification process. Well, I was born with this gene pool. I can only do this. I was born uh, and raised this way, believing this about other ethnicities, believing this about uh, who my abilities are, or believing this about words and what could be said to a woman and couldn't be said to a woman, or this about anger. This is how I was raised. All of us have all this kind of stuff in our background. That doesn't mean that it needs to be projected on and out to in our lives. God reworks us through a life of faith. He remolds us and reshapes us into who we should be so that the righteousness of God will be revealed from faith to faith. Just because someone else is a believer and sitting next to you doesn't mean that you can't pour into their life. Doesn't mean that you can't teach them or show them something about themselves or about the faith that they don't already know about. Do you know something? The preacher can learn from people in the congregation. I'm going to tell y'all, it's a secret. Don't let it out. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something else. You can actually ask me a scriptural question, and I may not know the answer. I know it's crazy. I'll go ask Paul. He does know all those answers, but I don't. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6, and the first part of verse 7 says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though through now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. We talked about this a few weeks ago. When stuff, bad stuff wants to happen, nobody is going, please sign me up for that. Does anybody go home and pray to the Lord and say, Lord, let me go through cancer? We don't do that. But when it comes to our life, our life becomes proof of the faith that we have in God to take care of everything. Us physically, if he wants to and desires to. If not, he's going to take care of those who are around us. He's going to use that in some way, shape, form, or fashion for his glory. There is stuff that everybody in this room has gone through that they would not go through again. They don't want to go through again. I've lost both my parents. In fact, tomorrow 
is the 10th anniversary of the loss of my mother. I do not want to go through that again. Do not re-sign me up for that. Nobody wants to go through that. Nobody wants to be a part of that. But we do walk through that. And God uses that in our lives to prove our faith. How? Why? Because we didn't forsake God when things like that happened to us. We turned to God. We trusted in Him. God showed us things about ourselves that we didn't think were even possible. Maybe even He grew us in our faith and gave us a new gift or a new way of serving or a new aspect or realm of our capabilities and capacities as a follower of Christ that we weren't even thinking about or thought possible for us. Believe it or not, I took a speech class in um, college where we had to get up and, and give speeches. First time that I got up and to give a speech, I froze. Can you, can you, can you, has anybody ever thought that, that I might stand up in front of a group of people and be fearful enough to not be able to know what to say or to not say anything? That's hard to believe, isn't it? It happened. I got a zero for that speech because I eventually got myself back together to be able to go up there and give a speech. But I got up in front of a group of people, only 20 or 30 people, and froze. You see, God moves in mysterious ways in our lives. The things that we think, there's no way I'm capable of being able to do this. He may turn that directly around and make that some way that we become a witness to other people, which is actually the next aspect of this. Let's keep going. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things that we hope for. Faith ends in conviction. Do you get it? It starts with our confession. It's built through our confidence. It ends with conviction. We trust without question. Our life becomes a witness and a testimony. In the last few weeks and months, we've had a lot of folks at the end of their time here on this earth who have gone through different things. I know what Miss Ruth Swansea believed. And I saw her tell doctors, I've told y'all this, she professed and confessed her faith. She was a witness and a light to doctors and every other person that she came in contact with, and she knew she was going home. Harry Baird's doing the same thing. His life is speaking though he can't hardly breathe. It doesn't seem fathomable, does it? How is that possible? How can we still do this? Because it's not about us. It's about God. That person is so convicted in their faith. Their faith is so deep. Their love for, their trust in God is so tight and no matter what they're going through, or no matter what the situation or circumstance is, God is using them. And he's doing the same thing in us. Sometimes the pain that some of us bear is just unbearable. Whether it be emotional or physical. But God gets us through it. 
And then he takes our life and uses that to be a witness to somebody else. That's an example. That's a light. And sometimes it's in ways that we don't even understand and know how we're doing that. We're just trying to be us. Vic, has this church made a, um, has it been a witness in your family through food? I want y'all to know something. Vic has fed me the last couple of Wednesdays before church on Wednesday night. And it's from the leftovers from you guys. They got so much food around there, they don't know what to do with it. So they brought the pastor over. He'll eat it. He'll eat anything. That's right. Mikey, he likes it. So as a person who's got the extended blessing, Miss Joy, thank you for all that food. You know what, Miss Joy? They said your soup was so good they wouldn't even let me have any of it. No, she's going to get you the recipe. Pam was like, you can have whatever you want, Tim, but not the soup. That's a witness. That's a testimony. It's simplistic. It's just us being us. That's what God does. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 1 Peter 7. This is a little bit later on. This is the second part of that, 7b through 9. Even, through tested by, even though tested by fire, we, that we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith salvation of your souls. You have been saved. You are being saved. You shall be saved. Your salvation is not complete. Why? Because your journey is not complete. God is not through with you, sanctifying you, making you better, nor using you as a witness and a tool and a light. If we stop, we're the ones stopping. As Ed says all the time, there are no Christian retirees. There's no way in our faith that we ever retire. Brother Paul still visits people. 89 this month, right? 90? Friday. 89 Friday. Y'all all call Brother Paul Friday. He'll be 89. 89. Still going and visiting people. Still getting up and going to pastor's conference on Monday, aren't you? There's no stopping that. We don't get a pass because we taught Sunday school five years ago. It doesn't happen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and then verses 39 and 40 to close. 
the first part of one says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The second part, it says the conviction of things which we cannot see. And all these, <laughs> you know, the rest of that whole chapter talks about people who live their life for Christ or for God, because a lot of them are Old, they're, they're Old Testament. So they're all the Old Testament examples. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not have been made perfect. And what he's saying there, because he talks about it, did, did Abraham ever see the promised land? Never did. But did those who follow Abraham in faith see the promised land? Yes, they did. The Lord promised Abraham. Abraham never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Some of you are praying for family members to come to know the Lord. And they may not come to know the Lord before you go see the Lord. But that does not mean that they won't. Faith, the conviction of the things which we cannot see. And the assurance of all those things that we hope for. And though there's different flavors, it's all one faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day and the opportunity which we've had to come and to worship you. We thank you for the fact that your word is truth. And if we hold to that, if we understand the dogma, the very essentials of our faith, and we hold on to, that, to those as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can worship in, a, in, in different doctrinal and belief settings and still be connected to each other as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that in everything that we do, we will be a light and a witness. That you will help us to see that we are being sanctified, we are being made whole, we are being made complete. You are finishing that which you started in and through us. And Lord, help us not to lay down the mantle until we've gone home to see you. And Lord, we know your promises. And if we don't see all of them on this side, it'll be okay. Because you are faithful. And you cannot, will not, thing other than who you are. And we trust in that. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the grace. May your mercy continue to be extended our way. These things we pray now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.